Welcome to the Tradfest podcast, brought to you by the Temple Bar Company. Hello from Temple Bar, Dublin. And today we're delighted to speak with singer and multi-instrumentalist and composer, uh, Trina Nigonel. Trina, it's fantastic to talk to you. Same as that, Kieran. Now, you're... Of course, you have played at Tradfest over the years and the plan is that you will be playing again next January at Tradfest and we look forward to you playing there. You did play there with uh, Moraid and yeah. Donald and Andy some years ago, but you also played there with Tea with the Maggies in a beautiful little church there. That's right. That's right, yeah. Uh, very memorable. It, it's such a, it's such an unusual space uh, setting it was yeah. a fantastic setting and we'll yeah. kind of we'll relive some of those moments of Tradfest a little later in this chat. But maybe to get us started, Trina Nagon and yourself, people associate you with Donegal, but you weren't born there, were you? No, I was actually born in Dublin, um, would you believe, in, in Fibsborough uh, many moons ago, but um and grew up in, in Kells, County Meath, but I suppose the Donegal Association is is um uh, that every summer, more or less, we we spent in with our um we went up to Ranafast in Donegal, where our father was from, Ranafastia, and uh, you know looked forward to it. it was like going to another planet, um, but uh, wonderful memories of of those days. And of course, um, those those visits were to influence your music making and song making later on in years. But absolutely, yeah. Uh, I suppose uh, on the national stage, people got to know you maybe through Scarab Bray, but certainly through your work with the Bothy Band. But what got you to there? Let's say you were very young in Scarab Bray. So, where did you learn your music? Your songs we know were Donegal influence, but what about your keyboard skills and your other instrumental skills? Where did you get all that? Well, um, I actually uh, t- took uh, piano. Michal was about a year and a half ahead of me. And um, uh, we we took yeah, we had piano lessons from a sister Dominic, the convent of Mercy in Kells, and uh, I think I was I was about six um, when I first uh, went to went to sister Dominic for lessons, and I was already hearing Michal play, you know, small little classical pieces. Um, he was a great pianist actually through the years before. He hit on a guitar around age 15 or so. But um, anyway, started off going through the grades there with um, Sister Dominic, uh, like I say. Uh, at the same time at home, we would have been uh, listening to all kinds of music from both our mother and our father. Like Daddy had all of the, the songs in Irish. Um, uh, and and Mammy had a lot of them too. She She kind of had had a lot of monster songs where he had all of the the Ulster songs from his from his family and uh, our mother was a lovely singer too and she, and she listened to all kinds of everything from light opera to you know Jeanette MacDonald, Nelson Eddy, uh, John McCormack and you know our father besides listening to playing 78s of you know uh, everyone from uh, Satchmo and the Glenn Miller band to um, and Ella Fitzgerald to traditional songs and uh, 
So it was a very mixed bag, you know, in our, in our early years. So it was there was a lot of singing in our house uh, in our formative and, years, you know. And did you have a personal preference at the time for any of those genres? No, just whatever really did move you. Um, I suppose our taste in music expanded a bit then in, in our teenage years and we started listening to everything from uh, Beatles and and uh, and all of the a lot of the English bands because in fact lately next door to us there was uh, an only boy um, whose mother was from Liverpool so he had all the, the 45s and we used to be listening through the wall <laughs> the, the sitting room wall to you know, everything from, a, you know, Herman's Hermits and numerous English bands that were on the scene. And, and you know, we listened to everything from, you know, uh, Procol Harum and um, Cream and you know, Clapton and all, all of those. So a, f- a, fairly, a fairly broad mix. So your life wasn't sheltered, let's say, musically? No, no. Um, our, our eldest brother, Eam- Eamon, was great. He, um, in bringing a lot of the uh, music into the house, and I can see him sitting on the floor at the record player and uh, saving up every penny to get the latest single and checking with the, uh, you know, Rolling Stone or the the, the magazines and uh, Q magazine, I think it was, or, uh, or Spotlight to see what was the latest single to come out and and. Uh, you know, um, just spinning them round and and on the on the record player in the in the sitting room, and um, I suppose our father in the background who collected from his own people for years for the folklore commission. Like he he would often have a where he would copy down the lore from Ranafast and from singers of his own family, and you know. Um, in the days, early days of Scarabray, or before we even had a name, you know, on weekends he'd be pointing out various and and singing various songs for us to to attempt to try <laughs> try out, you know. Well, you mentioned your late brother Eamon. I knew him in Dublin as well. A great enthusiast yeah. for all sorts of music, but certainly a great enthusiast for traditional music and anybody who was playing it. Uh, yeah. he, he had great time for them once you were playing it. He did indeed, and 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 he kind of knew about world music before it was even a called that, you know. Like he listened to mu- music from all over the world, from and uh, I suppose then we we were fans of the likes of Pentangle and Steel Eye Span, and you know all the 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 English folk great players like you know Martin Carthy and the Watersons and Nick Jones and. I suppose it 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 uh, we it, it filled our our ears and our hearts, and uh, we kind of you know made 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 the music our own then out of that. You certainly did, Tina. And Scarabray, where did that emerge from then? Because you were very young when you uh, joined the band Scarabray. Well, Myra actually, we, we Myra and I were still. I think I was in my last year at school, and Myra was only in her intersert year, but. Um, Nihal and Dahi, you see, were, were um, I suppose they were in their early days in, in UCD, uh, Celtic studies, and they also um, uh, studied archaeology and, you know, in, in, 
in that uh, I remember looking I later took took it up myself for a bit uh, looking at them the, the great books that they um, bring home on, or down to Kells on the weekends and um, Scarabray there was something about it uh, that was sort of Irish Scottish but uh, that name had to be quickly chosen <laughs> after we sort of took off with the um, our first outing was at the uh, Kilkenny Folk Festival that we, we entered. Um, the Kilkenny Beer Festival, <laughs> actually. <laughs> and out of that, you know, we went in for a lot of heats and got to the finals and got third place. And um, Shea Healy uh, actually got in touch with us and asked us, would we be interested in, in doing a couple of programmes? He had a programme called All Kinds of Folk and uh, offered us a couple of um, two or three programmes uh, on radio at the time, which uh, got us started uh, and gave us kind of the, the, the confidence or, you know, why not uh, give it a go. But like we were all heading off in different directions, Michael and Dahi at, at university, Myrith began got interested in nursing and I went to UCD as well but I suppose if it wasn't for Gaelin who who gave us uh, again who offer, offered uh, to do a recording with us and I suppose that was about um, it was about a year afterwards after we did the actual recording which was done in in Marianella Hall on, on a Sunday afternoon <laughs> uh, you know and um it came out uh, within within a year after that, and so unfortunately there wasn't much opportunity for us to to get together. And, and was your ambition to actually go on the road? Is that how you felt about it? I don't think so. Hmm. No, but you know we 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 did get to do a, a couple of concerts here and there, and uh, they were few and far between. But we you know we loved every chance we had. Was your next musical outing after that, was that uh, the body band, the next kind of band that you went to work with? Yeah. And how did been. that come into being? Well, again, it, it grew out of um, Gaelin um, having a, I think it was their 21st anniversary or 25th, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not sure, but the, they had a, there was a place on, on at the top of Grafton Street, uh, and I got the job of, you know, just kind of sitting beside a record player and uh, with a with a whole load of um, Gaelin recordings. And at lunchtime, if people were wandering in off of the street, um, you know, I I was I was there to uh, guide them towards those records. But, uh, and they also came up with the idea, the notion that it'd be nice to have um, musicians actually. Um, get together and play a session and, and, and have that as a way of drawing people in. And that's kind of how the the, the, the first time that I, I remember um, playing with um, Paddy, Paddy Keenan and, and Donal and Michal and myself and um, Paddy Glack and, and Paddy Glack and and um, was Tony McMahon there at the time? And t- Tony, well, I, I can't remember if he was with us uh, for those afternoon sessions, but, you know, we did some some um, gigs 
uh, I suppose in a, a year or so after that, um, over the course of that year, uh, Tony kind of encouraged me to, to phone up some people in, um, you know, some local places like um, in Clare, like, said, we, we, should we go down at the weekend and we'll, we'll play on the Saturday and we'll, and then we'll, we'll have a session that evening and we'll go back on, on Monday and uh, places like, I remember one of them being in Fecal turned into a great old weekend, I have to say, you know. So uh, did you decide then, like, when did you decide that you were going to take this seriously and get working on all that material? Uh, I, I I suppose, to be honest, Kieran, I'm not sure. I mean, the the, the chronology. It's a pity Michal isn't around now. He was great on um, things like that. The, the you know dates and times, and it was sometime you know of of doing those little occasional weekends, and and Tony was with us uh, um, at that point too, and Tommy and. You know, we did a few weekends here and there, but then it kind of got um, where where decisions had to be made. Um, And Matt was, you know, had an important job uh, in 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 um, Aer Lingus, Mm -hmm. um, an engineer there. So it was a big it was a big risk for him. You know, Paddy decided. Paddy Glackin, that it wasn't really for him either. And Tony himself was kind of branching into TV, so um, radio and, t- and, and television. So the rest of us <laughs> took a chance and, you know, off we went. Off you went. Now, what, it was the, the sound of the body band was famous for just its power and energy and the beauty in their arrangements. So obviously... He put a lot of time and work. Who was the kind of leader in that, or did you all contribute to that? Well, I think we all um, did contribute. Like uh, the, the 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 main melody instruments, like the fiddle, flute, and pipes. Paddy, Tommy, and Matt initially, like they had their own um, repertoire of 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 tunes and settings of. Um, you know, progressions from one tune into another and key changes and all of that. And like it was Michael and, and myself and, and Donal were, it's not that we worked separately, but they each uh, each brought their own, um, which was all very exciting and new to, well, the likes I can speak for myself in that, um, you know, I hadn't tried to put uh, accompaniment to, all of these great sets that I'd 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 stand in the snow listening to, and and did listen to a lot of you know Tommy and Matt were. Uh, it was it was a joy to hear them, and equally uh, tunes that that Paddy would have had that I wouldn't have been that familiar with. So I suppose me and and Donald and myself we would we'd kind of um, hit on the chord progressions. Mm that we heard in, in the accompaniment to these sets and songs. And uh, it just kind of naturally came about, you know, as, as we progressed and thinking from, from the first album, the, the second recording when we were in um, 
in Rockfield in, in, in Wales and in a studio and um, Donal had, had a, um, a way of uh, adding hearing harmony lines and being able to communicate them to Paddy or Matt or, or Kevin at, at the time. And in a way, I was kind of like the, the bass player um, and, and Michal and Donald were the rhythm players. I don't know if any of this is making any sense to you. It's making sense <laughs> to me, all right. But I'm just thinking of myself uh, being in the audience there listening to you. And, you know, when you'd hit, let's say, the sailor's bonnet or something like that, when the place yeah. would just erupt because that's what you lifted it. And it was the keyboard, yes, the guitar and the bazooki. Uh, the lead were the lead and they were doing fantastic stuff. But it was this, it was what's going on underneath. It was very new yeah. to us as young people, certainly at the time. Exciting. Well, it, it was, and it was exciting to, um, sp speaking for myself, you know, when, when just when that magical thing was happening, it was like you were, you were trying to hold on to, a, you know, or hang on to the end of a fast-moving train and, uh, you know, not not lose it. Um, and I would just hammer away on the on the clav. The harder I hit it, um, Maybe that would give give the lads a you know a G up and myself too and you know there were some a couple of occasions when I almost blew out a couple of PAs because if, if I held down the low A <laughs> it would um, like like jack up a story so it would start to kind of um, buzz and uh, I keep the soundman under yeah. toes yeah. <laughs> Now, yeah. the body band came and it just made this huge uh, mark on the traditional music scene. And then uh, you all went your own ways. But you went off to the States for a few years. For a few, um, i.e. 17 altogether. Not that long, yeah. Yeah, well, back and forth, mm. you know. But initially, yeah. Um, I went out there after, I think it was after Balasadere in, in 79, at the end of 79. I first went out to um, somebody that we'd met uh, actually came to the meeting place. Um, it was an American uh, musician, ba a bass player who had been in the Steve Miller band. <laughs> and he, he, he came and uh, he, he gave us a kind of an open invitation to come out um, to his, his place in, in California place called Cloverdale and uh, did that for a while um, but we were just keen to um, to you know get back there and, and uh, ended up a couple of months there and and then uh, when the visa ran out coming back to Ireland and then going back out again and make a long story short in, in um, we ended up in Nashville Tennessee and from there one night heard heard a musician playing farewell to Aaron on the fiddle and he was he was in this jazz club and the same musician um, and singer songwriter his name was Mike Cross he was from Chapel Hill in North Carolina and uh, Philip Donnelly was with us actually and and he Philip kind of introduced us to Mike after he played his set. 
and uh, he then invited us to come to to Chapel Hill um, where he lived and I ended up doing a, uh, he was on a small tour around North Carolina and uh, invited me to to do a kind of a short opening set for his gigs and that led on to um, meeting loads of other musicians who, who lived in that area and everyone from you know the Red Clare Ramblers and who became fast friends of ours and um, old-timey players and you know there was a great music scene around there so it was it was a matter of back and forth and back and forth um, back home when visas ran out and and coming back out again and then meeting other musicians and and the next thing I was part of a band called Touchstone. I was going to ask you that. Yeah. And, Who was Touchstone? Uh, uh, friends from um, uh, Claudine Langell, she played banjo and mandolin, guitar and sang. Uh, a flute player, Mark Roberts, was from Rhode Island. And Zan um, McLeod, who was from, who actually played with Mike Cross, who was a guitar player and he was he was he was a rock and roller really, but he heard he was a fan of um, Donalds, and you know got his hands on the first bazooki he could, and and began to listen to traditional Irish music. So and, how long uh, then did Touchstone last? How long were you playing together? About four years, I suppose. Yeah, uh, we recorded two albums for Green Linnet. And around that, again, the, the chronology or the time frame, um, Michal by this stage was out in Portland in Oregon, himself and Kevin. They had ended up there and, and actually living there. And somewhere along the way, Michal um, met up with Johnny Cunningham, uh, I think it was in Alabama or somewhere. And uh, that led on to... <laughs> Um, Michal working with a guitar player or a fiddle player out of Portland, a classical player Billy Oskey, and over the course of about a year, uh, Michal and, and himself um, wrote some original music uh, that later became Night Noise. Yeah. But in between all of this, um, Michal running into Johnny. Uh, they put their heads together over, I'm sure, over some libation and um, talked about wouldn't it be great if, if, uh, if, if, if myself and if uh, Johnny, Johnny's brother Phil, if we were to get together and try something out, you know. And uh, that led to relativity and uh, another few years of... Um, hilarity and fun and great music that was really again off the top of the heads straight into <laughs> his record <laughs> and very little um, preparation but look on back on it it was um, there were great times I was I've, I feel very lucky to Certainly, the, been in been, all that company. It would know. have been lively with the two Cunninghams for sure. Uh, oh, and Michal, absolutely! So I can just imagine. Yeah, a lovely, yeah. a lovely combination. Uh, Michal, I have to say, he was one of the gentlemen 
uh, in the music scene that we ever met on the road, certainly, and uh, always gave good advice, certainly to us if we were around. So for me, uh, he would have been held, and I know with other guys that play in the, in the band with me, he would have been held in the highest of uh, respect by us and respected him as a musician, but as a person as well. So just to mm-hmm. say that to you, Trina. Um, Thanks, that's right. Uh, yeah. but, but tell me about Night Noise, because that was hugely successful, but maybe not known as well over this side of the Atlantic. Yeah, that's right. Um, I mean, it was just, uh, I suppose it was it was Michal's um, writing and that, that first recording that he and Billy about a year after they they had it in the can, as it were, and um, these two guitarists who, who founded a label called Wyndham Hill. It was an all-instrumental label, mostly of guitars and later of um, piano players. Um, Wyndham Hill, and 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 they they had a, a big following in the kind of Silicon Valley and out of California. And I suppose when they heard um, the recording of, of Michal and Billy, which was entitled Night Noise, it was one of the tracks that, that Michal had penned. Um, and uh, it, it was the most different of, of all of the stuff that they heard, but they, they kind of got, got behind them. And uh, by the time they were offered to do, asked to do a second um, recording, and it was all original music. Um, Miho played a lot of um, piano and harmonium and wrote parts and uh, whistles as well as guitar. And uh, in the meantime, too, he 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 met uh, Brian Dunning, oh. uh, flute player, um, and uh, Brian and Fiona. They invited them out to Portland and and gave me the shout as well. And I kind of left. North Carolina, Chapel Hill, and we drove out all the way to, to, to Oregon. And I kind of came in at the tail end of that second recording. Um, but it was a very diverse uh, uh, label. And uh, we, we toured the length and breadth of the States, really, every, almost every uh, state. It was a while before we did well enough to, to, to get a lot of concert hall venues, you know, to, to play. Um, but um, uh, we had the backing of the label then too for um, publicity and uh, Michal came up with the idea of the winter solstice tours and and also recordings for the label. And, you know, he put a lot of work and thought into that and, and, and we brought other people from the label uh, with this and did uh, several winter, winter tours all across the Midwest and that and we'd finish up in, in after leaving the, the snow of um, Minneapolis and, and all of that we'd, we'd finish up in, in the, the sun and the, and the heat in places like Scottsdale, Arizona and anyway we had years out there and uh, recording um, and touring um, for for quite quite a number of years, we weren't uh, in the Irish circuit of, of of things. It was, I suppose, it was early on. It was known as kind of new age, but uh, somewhere along the way, we were kind of called um, 
New Age, Irish, Celtic, jazz, folk uh, kind of band. <laughs> Sounds like a description actually Eamon yeah. could have come up with for that band. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> sure. You came back to Ireland then after all that exotic adventure and mm. kind of settled back here. But you're doing a lot of work. You're doing a lot of work with Maureen, your sister. Yeah, well, even when, when we did come home, which was in, in 96, and glad that we did, uh, looking back on it, um, Michal and Myra and myself, and, and sometimes with Paddy, and sometimes um, Paddy Glacken, we did a, a we, we played on and um, did some tours also with the likes of um, Marching, um, Marching O'Connor and Cahill Hayden and uh, a lot of our friends. In fact, it, you know, we did an African tour at one stage for the the Irish ambassador to to Nigeria and Ghana. Um, ambassador Joe Lynch invited us out there, um, whole gang of us, and uh, those were great times as well, musically and. Uh, in every other way. Well, I, I, I used the word exotic to describe some of those trips in the States, yeah. but it sounds even if it got more exotic. But Yeah, you, in you Japan also, we, we, you know, did a, a tour for an organisation called Minon out there, out there and uh, ourselves and Marching and, um, and Cahill and uh, found great memories. Fantastic memories. You strike me as the quiet one of uh, the operation, but quiet and quietly working away because you have written a lot. Now, here's an aspect maybe of your music that maybe a lot of people don't know is that you're a prolific composer as well and have been for years. All right. I, I wouldn't say prolific. Yeah, um, <laughs> <laughs> no, I just... Um, I suppose Michal encouraged me a lot because, you know... Um, when I think about it, uh, you know, every time we'd arrive at some lovely concert hall and the first thing I'd head for the, the piano, a gorgeous Steinway or, a, or a, a Yamaha Grand or, you know, but usually, uh, and you, you only had to hit, hit a note and it sounded beautiful, sounded great. So I'd often be, you know, just playing little things at... at a sound check and um, me all would say to me, you know, what, what's, what's that? What's that you're doing? I said, I sure don't know. It's just what came out or off the top of the head, you know? And he'd, he'd look pointedly across at me and just say, you know, look at, get busy, start, start putting, start recording that. Uh, but I, I, I wasn't sure if they were pieces or what they were, you know? Um, but I suppose I've been doing that, yeah, since I was uh, about 12 or 13. Well, you um, see, I, I'm taken back. I just noticed in some of the background notes that I was kind of reading on you that you actually, uh, did you write a song uh, for Danny Doyle for the National Song Contest? <laughs> I, I did. Well, I, there you I, go, I was about 17. Uh, a fair maid, about 17. Uh, still at school and um, yeah I I chanced uh, sending in you know I don't even know I think I had to get help write, writing the dots down or notating it but um, 
he was chosen to, to sing it, a song called Words. And uh, that was quite a thrill, you know, just to hear it um, orchestrated and Noel Keelan directing and, you know, one big night on RT. And um, I mean, it didn't it didn't place or anything, but it was a big, a big moment. And I suppose that did give me a, um, a bit of confidence to to keep keep going at it. But, you know, I would have been listening to Joni Mitchell at the time and, you know, um, dreaming away. Yeah, but I mean, uh, in fairness, Danny Doyle was uh, a big star in Ireland at that time, wasn't he? I suppose he was, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. Linda Ronstadt has recorded some of your stuff? Uh, herself and Emmy Lou and Dolly Parton uh, recorded in uh, back in the 80s, a uh, trio, and... Um, I was invited out uh, again. They listened to two songs that I had, one of both of which actually I had um, recorded with Touchstone, and uh, they invited me out to to the studio to to LA, and and I'd forgotten all about it because it didn't make the final cut, as they'd say. It was a song called uh, "In a Deep Sleep," originally called "White Snow," but um. I got to play on a real clavichord and I got to play with uh, Albert Lee and David Lindley. Didn't make it onto the, the actual recording, which at the time, I mean, I just I kind of said, ah, sure, that's some you win, some you lose, you know, and forgot about it altogether. But then about a couple of years ago, about two years back or so, um, I got a call from uh, or an email from Linda's management to say that, and God love her, she has she can no longer sing. She was a you know great singer and musician, um, and herself and uh, Emily and Dolly, since they could no longer do any more singing together, they decided to put out um, a. A compilation called the collection, I think, um, of all previously unreleased tracks, and my song was in there, uh, which finally surfaced after about thirty odd years. So that was that was nice. <laughs> so you call that a slow burner, yeah. would you? A very slow burner, yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but your 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 songs have also been recorded by a, a Japanese recording star as well. Yeah, her uh, name is Memori Yusa, and uh, she actually heard us as Night Noise in, I remember it was 1990, um, and the, the Asian World's Fair was was on in, um, I think it was in Osaka or in Yokohama, and she heard us in this small club playing, and uh, that led on to us backing her on a six-track CD. She came to Portland with with her entourage and uh, it, it was the first kind of acoustic um, album of, of her um, songs. And that led to good good many years uh, back and forth of us going out to, to Japan to play with her live. And um, yeah, she did. She hit on uh, 
I was surprised on, on one of my songs, which uh, was called Island of Hope and Tears. And she translated, got it translated into Japanese and, and recorded it. And she, in fact, invited me out, um, I think it's about two years back now, was our 35th anniversary, concert anniversary. And very kindly asked me out as a special guest and I got to play that and play a couple more songs. And she had learned, believe it or not, uh, phonetically and, and did a, a good job on, on Wai Jinwara. <laughs> she, and she, became, she was a guest with Dalton when they last went out uh, to Japan. So yeah, those connections are great, you know. Yeah. Uh, Trina, of course, you did make a solo CD eventually yourself. I did. Um, it was after we lost uh, her, her darling brother, Raymond, and um, uh, I think he died in August. And, and a couple of months later, I went over, which I had been planning anyway, to my friends in, in Vermont, um, Claudine and Rod. And I just, with the, with the thought, even though my heart was broken, I kind of said, if I can get a few little pieces, uh, maybe I'll start a, a solo uh, recording, do it all myself, as Michal prompted me to do. And um, I, I, I thought, if I get one, even one or two pieces, uh, I'll be happy and i leave it at that. And actually, I got about 30 little bits here and there. But again, it took me another, uh, and uh, you know, I came home and it took me another year of, with the technology of, it was a new adventure for, for Rod, uh, using the technology, the pro tools, and, and I didn't know how to listen back on a different system to what I had recorded and didn't listen to each of the things for about uh, about a year apart. And each winter I kind of went out to my friends and did another little bit. And Michal lent me his bag of whistles and he just said, you know, you should play it all yourself. Like I had thoughts of, I'd love to have uh, gotten one or two of the pieces orchestrated, but I couldn't afford that. And, you know, and anyway, he said, you should just do it all yourself. Uh, which I eventually did, and I finished up um, after the demise of um, losing Michal then, three years later. So I was kind of heartbroken before, I, and this was a labour of love, and I eventually brought out um, myself, the, the I called it The Keys Within, and, uh, you know, I've... I have loads of copies of still uh, at home. They make good frisbees or coasters. So was it Tina uh, Nigonal.ie, is it, or somewhere like that? It does. Uh, um, Tina dot com. Okay. Well, <laughs> yeah. you know, people, people are actually focusing them. on buying people's own albums rather than kind of going to shops or going to Spotify yeah. and all of that. So it's a pretty good idea. The Keys Within yeah. is solo album from Trina Nigonal. What are you working at now? I know you're doing a bit of work with Moraid and with uh, Andy and Donald at Tradfest in January. Yes. But you still get a, a buzz from writing stuff. Well, I do. Um, now and again, I'm, 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 I'm lazy, though. Um, <laughs> I, I often say I should be doing more. I, you know, I never know when, when uh, 
it's going to strike, you know, and it could be at three o'clock in the morning that I just, instead of going up to bed, I decide to play something or uh, when I least expect it, I, you know, I'm mm -hmm. drawn to the, the music, but um, I'm not very um, uh, conscientious and up first thing in the morning and do about two or three hours of, of work. Um, I'm not like that at all. I could be staring into space for about four hours and uh, then wonder why all this <laughs> melody or something is in, in my head. What about during the lockdown? We've been asking people what they've been doing during lockdown. Did you get inspired or did you decide to look into space? <laughs> a bit of both, but actually I was in, um, uh, I was down with, with my sister, with Myrith and, and Cahill, um, and uh, we did a good bit more playing than, than you know, than we usually do, and, and uh, they have a piano in the house as well, and, you know, we've worked out um, a couple of, a couple of, worked up a couple of new songs, and you know, got out a fair bit, kind of out for walks with, with my little Mawadubag, Dodi. And, and, and when the lockdown happened, it, it, was, it was lovely that we got the gorgeous weather because there was a lot of lazing out in the back garden and, and sitting there and played a bit of the accordion now and again. And we sang a good bit, played a good bit. Can we expect to see you playing the accordion at Tradfest? <laughs> you never know. You never know what the lockdown, you never know. What the lockdown might have brought to us. <laughs> yeah. By the way, have you been listening to any other music? We've been asking our guests what music they've been listening to during the lockdown, if anything, or are they just you know working away with their own? Oh yeah, there is. There's there's an amazing um, harpsichordist, uh, young fellow, French guy. Uh, his name is Jean Rondo, R O N D E A U, and uh, oh, he's just he's. Amazing player, and uh, you know um, there are a lot of um, clips of him up on YouTube. I've kind of watched or, or listened to him from a couple of years back when he started out. I watched a documentary on him uh, where he was, you know, carting in the harpsichord into this lovely French country kind of manner, and and uh, and the little harpsichord was very ornate and painted and setting up and he's there in the kind of like a young hippie you know and in the bare feet and just no no messing and straight into beautiful music and he's recently he's teamed up with the, another uh great player so i've so upon, rondo is to one yeah. to look out for then yeah we'll certainly yeah. look forward to that and i can tell you we'll be looking forward to seeing you at Tratfest in january 2021 uh, Trina, it's we been will a pleasure too. to talk to you. The same as that, Kieran, and, and, and we'll really look forward you. to it. And please, God, we'll all be doing well and 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 able for it, and out of and have vaccines and have everything on the mend, and hope springing eternal for us all. Yeah, the vaccine in one hand and the accordion in the other. Right. <laughs> Thanks a million, Trina. Not at all, Kieran. Thanks. Goodbye, Thank you for listening to the Tradfest podcast. For more information on Tradfest, go to tradfest.ie. Tradfest is brought to you by the Temple Bar Company.